Hey everybody, welcome back to our wall podcast. Um, today we have two visitors with us. We have my young brother, Cage Mitchell, and we have Zach Stevens. Um, and they're going to talk to us about aliens and stars and maybe a little bit about NASA. Um, everything that's not earthbound. Um, so... Sam, do you want to start us off with a question that you've been itching to uh, ask for weeks? Yeah, I, I uh, so a good background on Zach. You you interned at NASA, right? Yes, I did. And what what did you do there? Um, well, I worked at two different centers. So I worked at the Kern Space Center in uh, Illinois, and there I was uh, using a particle haldron collider. So I was slamming a bunch of particles at each other to create new ones that we find in like planets in the solar system and stars millions of miles away and then I was transferred to the uh, John F. Kennedy Space Center down in Florida and there I was part of the research team who did payload research so I was in charge of the amount of supplies the amount of fuel and the trajectory of the rocket when being launched up to the International Space Station so yeah and then and then Cage you're you're an astrophysics major as well right well, yeah physics specifically I have intentions to go to grad school for astrophysics so when people tell you guys, you know, this is, it's not rocket science, it's not rocket science, it, it literally is rocket, rocket science. science. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, star science. Yeah, star science. No, that's really interesting. But I, uh, what kind of weird stuff did you see at NASA? Um, yeah, what was it, actually, what was one of the weirdest things you saw and what was one of your, like, greatest takeaways or, like, learnings that you were like, whoa, I had no idea I would come in and come out with this? If you can talk about it, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, no, you I don't can... want to mess up any disclosure <laughs> no, agreements. No, no, no. I don't want the men in black to show up and just pumble into this office. So. Um, I don't know, though. One of the weirdest things would probably be the amount of, like, news reporters they have there, which is which is really weird, and it's like... With, with these these news reporters, like, what they do is they just, like, pull physicists and astrophysicists aside and they just hammer them with questions about, like, aliens and all this stuff. And then we they have these, like, sleep rooms where, like, if you've been working for, like, 8 to 15 hours at the, like, at the facility, you go into these sleep rooms and it's it's all alien, like, modified. So it's, like, you walk into the room and it's supposed to be, like, less gravity so you sleep better, but then, like, all along the walls are, like, pictures of aliens and, like, pictures of planets that we think, like, life can exist on. So while you're sleeping, it's, like, they want you to dream about being on another planet. I don't know. It, it was super weird. It was, it, was, it was kind of a crazy concept. But, like, when you woke up from the nap, you felt great. Because I'm not going to lie, I took a couple naps in there, and it was, like, you woke up out of this zero-gravity room, and you felt a million times better than you ever have in your entire life. And then... Um, one of my best takeaways was like the, the amount of effort that goes into like the research on these like projects. Like I was only a minor person, like doing payload research, but even the stuff I was doing, like if my calculations were off, even by like decimal points of numbers, I could have like jeopardized the entire mission. And it was like the satisfaction you got from like working that hard was probably the greatest like takeaway I got. Thank you. Yeah. That is That's crazy. That is insane. Yeah. yeah. Is that something you would want to do, Cage? I would love to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That uh that so when you go into these alien rooms and they, they visualize these aliens, are they, are these aliens real? You know, I I I think that's up to the imagination, but as like a 
a NASA like astrophysicist, astronomer, I want to say yes because I mean, you have to think about the endless possibilities of stars and galaxies out there and planets that can orbit each one of these stars. Like just the Milky Way alone has an estimated like 250 to 300 billion stars. So, and each one of those stars can host a numerous amount of planets. Like our sun, for instance, has eight or nine, depending on if you count Pluto as a planet. And like, that that's just our solar system. Who knows out of the 250 billion other stars, how many other planets there are. Yeah, yeah um, to add to that, yeah. I saw a stat that there are four, an estimated 40, this is in 2013 too, so obviously we're still finding stuff. 40 billion Earth-like planets in our galaxy alone, which, like, Earth-like is in, like, the habitable zone of a star. So it's not too hot, it's not too cold. Earth is obviously in the habitable zone. So that's just in our galaxy, and there's, like, estimated hundreds of billions of galaxies. So, I mean, statistically, it just makes sense that there would be life, but whether or not that life is intelligent is kind of a different thing. And you also... You also have to, to add on to that, you have to think about how we look for life in the universe. When we look for life, we look for life as it persists on our planet. So we look for carbon-based life that can breathe oxygen. What if you think about the universe and you think about us as being the outcasts? What if we are the rare occasion in the universe? What if life in the universe doesn't persist and breathe oxygen, it breathes carbon monoxide? Or what if life out in space lives in lava? Like, you, you don't know what the actual norm is outside of our own galaxy because we've never actually been to any of these planets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's totally true. Yeah. And I want to, um, extending off of that, um, Cage, your interest in this started, I would say, like two years ago, I would say. Yeah. Um, about two years. I mean, you've always been interested in science and math and had more of a logistical mindset um, and a futuristic mindset, I would say. But you've started reading things over the past two years, and it's a lot of self-taught knowledge. So what would you say has been, like, your biggest step toward this as a career? Like, your the books you read or, um, like, stats or, like, your yeah. your facts that you, you know, follow on Twitter and Instagram? Like, how do you keep up to speed? I mean, because I know it could be intimidating with people around you who are doing internships and jobs and already in the field. So how do you kind of balance that? All right. So like, I think the most important thing is that you are excited by it. So like, you're not only excited by the future, but you're excited about learning about the past, like how we got here. That's literally the biggest question that has ever existed and it will always exist. And so like, you have to be excited. Like I was sitting in my friend's pictures of, like formulas and data tables I had made because I was like, look at these graphs, they look so cool. So like you have to be interested in that to start. But then like obviously I haven't had internships at NASA like Zach. And so I have to kind of not teach myself stuff, I guess teach myself stuff by books. And so there's so much that you can learn without that hands-on experience. And obviously that hands-on experience is as good as it gets. Like that teaches you more than anything. But like if you're interested in it, you can go out there and read books and you can learn so much to get you even more excited because like maybe the stuff I learn in the books isn't necessarily relevant anymore. It might be 20 years old, 30 years old. It might be a science fiction book, but like it keeps you excited and it keeps you wanting to learn more. And like, like I was talking to Zach earlier about inverse trigonometry and like, that's not necessarily exciting. But when you think about how that can get you one step closer to going out to space or getting a payload to Mars or something, 
then it, like reading these books keeps you interested in like the mundane, dull calculations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Awesome, thank you. So it just it's just the hunger to learn more. I feel like that's what that's what science is, especially <clears throat> when we talk about data tables and statistics and stuff. I pretty statistical mind. I would say I'm very fact based um, with the work that I do and most things. So. I use a lot of regressions and data analysis and different types of things with that. With I do that with uh, football. I did that with my internships over summer with real estate. You can use data in almost everything. But when you're using <coughs> statistics and you tell me there's 400 billion, you said? 40 billion 40, in our galaxy. 40 billion Earth-like planets. 40 billion. Like, statistically, I think that is the only variable you need to completely yeah. understand that. Like, if people, if, if you're like, oh, we're alone, then you're, I think you're very selfish to even think that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know NASA's view. I don't know astrophysics' view on that. But I think it's a selfish view to think that we're alone yeah. in some cases. Well, it's also how you, how you justify life, too. Like, if, if we're looking for life on other planets, are we looking for life like us? Or are we looking for the smallest organism of life? Because even a germ consists of life. So, like, if we were to find the slightest microorganism on a planet, then we know life persists in the universe. Because we, I mean, if you believe in evolution, we evolved over millions and millions of years into what we are today. So, all because we find microorganisms on another planet doesn't mean that in 20 million years they won't turn out to be like us. Like, it takes time for these things to develop, like... We might not be able to see currently now with telescopes what persists on a planet. If you were, I think, like one of the closest Earth-like planets is a couple hundred light years away. And if you were to look with our strongest Hubble telescope at Earth, you'd still see dinosaurs. And that's because that's how long it takes for the light from our planet to travel to, the, to like visual view wait, on that wait, planet. Wait, 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 wait. Explain that, please. Oh, this is so... Wait. So... So you can see dinosaurs. Yes. So like it takes so when you look at planets from light years away or from even miles away, you don't see them as they currently are. You see them as they were. So when we observe planets outside our solar outside our solar system, we have to look light years away at these planets. So when we see them, we're seeing the data that was given off when it was first released. So say we look at a planet 10 light years away. Well, that's how we were seeing it 10 years ago. So we don't know the, what's happened in 10 years until that 10 years has gone by. So the closest Earth-like planet to us might look like it's habitable, might look like there might not be life there, but say in 400 years, if we look at that planet again, we might see structure, we might see organisms, we might see people, who knows? It just depends on how long it takes for that light to travel to us. Yeah, because nothing travels faster than light. Right. So yeah, I'm just imagining the fat, that. Yeah. The, the tables of like not only trying to figure out life and deduce life and figure out what exactly life we're talking about, but also like just a wall of this whiteboard where we have time calculations as well because, I mean, we're manipulating these times, these these spaces, and that's one of the biggest things with any kind of research is being okay with like the unknown. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially with space travel, you have to be okay with not knowing. Right. I mean, because we, we don't know. I mean, we're inching toward knowing. But, I mean, with research in general, if you get intimidated or stressed out by unanswered questions, then that's not your field. And I think it's really, it's a, it's a strong suit to be able to say, okay, I don't know the answers, but I'm going to 
keep hacking away at it and see if we can figure it out as long as we're making a little bit of progress. So I think that's also what drives scientists too. Like Mm -hmm. for me, it's like, I've always, I've been hungry to learn things, but not just like the small things. Like I want to know the big things. And so it's like, it's aggravating and it's excruciating to not know these answers. And that's kind of what has driven me to want, like to figure out these answers, which obviously I'm not, I mean, probably not gonna be the one to figure out one of those big problems but I can get like I can get us a step closer and so can Zach and so can you guys and like Mm -hmm. we're all hungry to learn things and so that's gonna take us steps and steps closer yeah so if you so if you're if you were to travel from from earth to a a planet that's 10 light years away let's just use that example so moving at the speed of light it would take you 10 years to get there yes and say that we came to that, you would technically almost be moving through time. Yes. Yes. And it would also, like, it's it's hard to explain. It's like, as you travel to that planet, like, you will age. But now, depending on the size or the structure of the planet that you're landing on, time could flow differently. So as gravity increases, time flow, flows, I believe, quicker. So... If the planet you go to has a stronger gravitational force, that means that you will age, I believe, quicker than you would back on Earth. Or I'm pretty sure it's quicker. It could be slower. If you've ever seen the movie Interstellar, I was just gonna ask you about <laughs> they that. do they do a really good job at depicting that. And so when they land on one of the planets, they it said they say that an hour takes around like ten years on Earth. And that's because the gravitational force is so much stronger on these planets that, like, time flows differently on planets. Because time is just a construct of, like, human mind. It doesn't really exist because time is more or less infinite in the universe. That's why the universe is always expanding. Like, people think of the Big Bang. It wasn't actually an explosion. There was always something there that just expanded, and now it's expanding forever and ever. And, like, along the lines of the whole, like, if you were to take a spaceship from Earth and fly 10 light years away, you know, you've now traveled 10 years, but think of how long a light year is on Earth, you know, a light year. I don't know the exact number, but it's crazy long on Earth. And so now you've experienced 10 years because you're traveling at the speed of light, but everyone on Earth, like 10 Earth years, but everyone on Earth has experienced 10 light years. So, like, in that way, it kind of puts into perspective, like, how time isn't the same at, you know, (laughs) 10 light years away as it is here, or 100 light years away, or it's just, it's such a fluid thing, and it's so tied with gravity that, yeah, gravity and speed, and it's just not what we think it is. Yeah. Um, So, I have a a question, I guess, piggybacking off that a little bit. Um, Would you get on a rocket to Mars? I mean, it's kind of like a point blank question, but we've talked about it before. And I think if you're interested in it, there are a lot of risks. But let's say even in 20 years as space travel and SpaceX and Elon Musk keeps doing his thing. Like, would you like would you want to be one of like the pioneers in that? Um, Me personally, I wouldn't want to be a pioneer. 100 percent. I would go to Mars, but I wouldn't want to be one of the first because to me, like all this stuff is so important, but also like. A family and you know that side of my life is so important to me I wouldn't want to lose that 
but say I'm 30, you know, and I've got my PhD in astrophysics and I'm ready to go to space. I'm an astronaut. Sure. You know, I'd go to Mars hundred percent. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, I'm gonna have to take a different stance on that. I would love to be the first pioneer there. <laughs> I mean, I from from working at NASA, the next step is uh, orbiting base around the moon. That's that's our ne- that's our next step, and then from there it's a base on the surface of the moon. And the reason we want to do this is because to launch from Earth, since gravity is so much stronger, you have to use more fuel, and so you have to apply more power, more fuel, more thrust to get the rocket out of the atmosphere. From the moon, there's very, very little gravity. So to launch a rocket from the moon, you'd save fuel, and it would be easier to get started, gain acceleration, get to a higher velocity, and to travel to Mars or to these other places in a quicker time than it would to launch from Earth. So right now, those are our steps. And by like 2024, I believe, is when we're supposed to land the first man since the 60s and the first woman ever on the moon which is a huge milestone so that that's our goals and then from there it's to mars and i would love to be the first pioneer to mars because for me it's like if i can establish the ground structure the base of thousands of years of research that's that's all i need to be successful in my life if all my schooling and all of the research I've done comes down to me being the first man to ever set foot on another planet. That's to me that's a success in my career and that's a success for the human race. Yeah. That sounds that sounds convincing when you put it like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. It's mind blowing now. Like <laughs> yeah. you think about it, it's legitimately mind blowing that I cannot even begin to process yeah. what what that would be like. So you said they want to do an orbiting ring around the moon? So they want to do like an orbiting like station. So we have the Interna- International Space Station that uh, orbits the Earth. And what they want to do is they want to build a structure just like that, but actually bigger, and they want to throw it in orbit around the moon. And from the moon, what they'll do is they'll, they'll launch from that station to the moon like these buildable like structures that can establish a firm base on the actual surface of the moon. And so what they will do is they'll launch equipment to this International Space Station that orbits Earth. From there they'll launch from that station to the station that orbits the moon, and then from there they'll launch it to the surface of the moon. So that it's, it, it's a little more time consuming, but it, it saves fuel and it's safer than just launching from the Earth to the moon. Because you're, you're making the distance that the rocket has to travel shorter so that there's a lot less variables and like crashes and uh, malfunctions within the rockets that you're launching. Yeah, and that's that's called the gateway. It's like the the station that they want to put around the moon, mm-hmm. which is so cool because like it's a gate it's a gateway to like the future really because the whole idea of launching off the moon instead of the Earth is so important. Or really just launching from anywhere with less gravity than Earth because it's so expensive to launch from Earth and you lose so much payload when you launch from Earth because of how much fuel, you know, it's an exponential equation, how much fuel you need per pound you're putting into space. And so if you can get that stuff instead of from Earth, if you can get that stuff from the moon to Mars, that's like, it'll save so much money. And like he said, it's more time consuming. But, you know, when you're talking of the scale of billions and trillions of dollars, you know, time is definitely money. 
And so that's why it's so important to have that middle step between Earth and wherever we colonize in the future. You know, we have to have that middle step. Um, so one, this year we've had a lot of movies come out, um, like Marvel movies. And I can't help but wonder how what's in these movies applies and relates to like what's actually happening with space travel and like how dimensions and how much of this that they put in movies do you see being valid in research and do you ever like find yourself kind of paralleling like the two like the movie and what you know from classes and reading what what are your comments on that um it's 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 a very very theoretical picture so there's not very much research i would say behind it from what i got when i was at nasa but like at the same time there is, but like all the research that's done is what we believe happens in those type of scenarios. So if you're watching like Endgame, for instance, and uh, Infinity War, how they were able to travel back through time to these like other universes, these other dimensions, it's, it's possible that that could be what happens when you go through a black hole. So, I mean... Black holes are, honestly, it's really weird to think. You can't, you can't see them, which is obviously why they're called black holes. But what they do is, it's just, imagine a baseball sitting in space. That's more or less what a black hole is. It's a three-dimensional sphere that you can enter in from any side. And there's one specific point within that black hole that if you enter through and you theoretically made it through the event horizon and you theoretically made it to the wormhole, what it does is it shoots you out the other side. And now the other side, we don't know specifically where that is. It could be another side of our universe, or it could be another dimension. Oh. And so that's where theory comes in. Uh, we know that black holes, how they grow is they take in material, but we've also studied that they shrink, which means that they have to lose material. So they're, the ones that are at the center of every galaxy, usually you don't see them losing material. You see them usually growing because they're constantly absorbing stars, they're absorbing planets, <coughs> meteors. The ones we find are in like the giant voids of space where there once were planets, there once were galaxies, but the black holes were so massive they destroyed it all. And so these black holes we've noticed are losing mass. And so that means that they have to be releasing material and where that material goes is 50-50, honestly, at NASA. You can ask one physicist who's best friends with another, and they'll disagree on what happens when you go through these black holes. But you can either go through, and it'll shoot you out through another dimension of our universe, but like a different time period. So maybe a dimension where instead of World War II, there was never a World War II. It could be something as simple as that, or it could shoot you to another dimension where Earth doesn't exist at all. And so it's honestly more of like theoretical analysis and like what you maybe believe more than actual science as of now. Well, can you, can you peel that back a little bit too? Talk about the, the, the dimensions and like, cause like I can't even, I'm like starting to stutter. That's how much like I'm trying to comprehend it. Um, but the idea of dimensions. The idea of dimensions. When you said another dimension where Earth does not even exist, how is that possible? What dimension are we living in? 
And how many other dimensions could there be? Scientists, like, right now we live in, what, like, I believe what we call the third dimension. And scientists believe that there are, I think, 11 dimensions. And in order to get to, like, fourth or fifth or sixth dimension, like, it's, it's above our knowledge and understanding of the universe. In order to, like, understand that, you have to be able to understand gravity and we haven't been able to harness gravity yet or understand how gravity fully works in the universe as a large scale. But we've seen objects interact in space. We've, we've observed things happen that are very rare and very far-fetched that we know aren't third-dimensional. So, like, if I was to ask you, think of a four-dimensional cube, like how would you even begin to picture what four-dimensional square looks like? Like, you know what a three-dimensional square is? It's a cube. So now put that into the fourth dimension. Like, what happens? Does it add another side? Does it, does it get bigger? Does it get smaller? Like, we, we can't understand because we don't know how to think in these dimensions. But when we study these planets, we can see that what they do opens up new worlds, kind of, in a, in a, in a different sense. Like, when we see planets collide, like we see gateways into other like science that we can't fully study because it's too far. So like these dimensions are more or less like constructs of the universe that may have existed before or exist in a frame we can't imagine yet. Yeah, so it's like, like he said, there's a theory that there's like 11 dimensions and there's also another theory that there's seven and a theory that there's four. Regardless, all of these theories involve more than three. And like he said, like we, we, live and breathe and think in three dimensions i mean everybody knows or we all know what three dimensions is but you know we think of it as like a forward back up down kind of dimension which it is it totally is but there's also like when you throw in a fourth what is that you know like we see a movie's a 4d movie you know it's like a 3d movie and then they spray you with stuff but like that's not what the fourth dimension is at all and so like we think and live in three dimensions, but the universe doesn't have to follow those same laws. The universe has its own language, and that's what we've been trying to figure out. And so we like physically can't comprehend what that would be, but the language of the universe, you know, that's numbers and things like that, which are once again things that we've constructed to try to understand the universe, but it's given evidence of more than three dimensions. Like you said, like 11 or 7 or... All of these things, these galaxies smashing together gives kind of like ideas and like hints towards these things that we can't comprehend at all because we just, we can't. <laughs> That's just how we work. We work in three dimensions and we just can't physically comprehend more than that. Yeah. Um, so through research and like your interest in space and just astrophysics and physics in general, who are some people that you guys look up to or what are some specific books that you've read that have really like opened your eyes to new things? Um, two of the people that I look up to probably the most, uh, my number one would probably be Stephen Hawking. So my field of study is more uh, theoretical astrophysics and physics. So my basis is what we think happens in the universe. And that's kind of what Stephen Hawking was. He was a man who talked about what happens with black holes and wormholes and so some of his books are uh, a brief history in time i've read which is a f fantastic book about the the beginning of the cosmos and what we think happens at the end of the cosmos 
Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson would be my second uh, favorite, probably person or my like role model because he's very he's he he's more of like a factual based physicist who who understands the actual equations behind everything that works. And so, in order to be theoretical, you have to know the science behind what we know is true. So I look up to him to understand the actual factual evidence, and I look up to Stephen Hawking to understand the more theoretical balance because both go hand in hand in many many cases. Nice. Yeah. And I would probably put my I'm more like he's more of a theoretical, I'm kind of more of a hands-on. So like I actually talked to one of my professors about like what I should do as a minor, like stats versus computer science. And he's like, "Well, if you're more theoretical, you should go stats. If you're more hands-on, you should go computer science." So I went with computer science. So like to me, I look I know it's cliché, but like I look up to Elon Musk as like the hands-on example um which once again you can't have without like the fundamental laws of physics which in that respect i really look up to richard feynman who is sadly no longer living but he's known as he's regarded as the best explainer and the best teacher of physics he just simplifies it and like he has a book that i read it's called six easy pieces and it basically takes six ideas in physics um that are not at all simple and he makes them as simple as you can and he's just brilliant at describing physics and putting it into perspective so like i read that book that was a great book uh elon musk's biography was amazing um i haven't read a brief history of time it's on my reading list um cuz i keep getting stuck with like these memoirs of astronauts which i think is so cool like mike massimino is really cool um i'm reading a book right now called packing for mars by this woman, I forget her name, but she goes around and she basically talks to a ton of astronauts and just gets their feel on space. So yeah. Um and what how do you keep I know we've talked about this a little bit um cuz you do read a lot of books um to keep them all straight. What do you use um to keep up with like your curiosity? Like what's the platform that you use? Oh, I know the you app? mentioned it before. Okay. Yeah. Goodreads. If you like reading books, you have to get Goodreads. It's like social media for books basically. You put in your interests, it'll give you suggestions. You have shelves is what they call them. They're basically like folders. So you can have like um continue like what you're reading, what you want to read, what you've read. You can set goals. Like my goal was 26 books for this year. Um I'm not <laughs> at 26 books. I think I'm at 20, maybe 21 right now. Um So yeah, it's it's really cool. So if you're into reading, good reads for sure. Cool. Is there a uh is there a current events that you can keep up with almost with that because I know that uh for me, I'm business on Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, um Barron's, whatever I can get my hands on. But what I don't see too many current events that you can that you can look at or I can't see them personally. That you look at and you're like, "Okay, this is this is where we're at with space today." Um a decent one that it's hit or miss on uh how many like stories they have but National Geographic does a pretty decent job at um keeping people up to date on what goes on in the space world um I know they had a magazine I want to say a couple months ago that was just for um that was just space and it was when we uh came up for the date to launch our moon base So when we came up with that 2024 date, I'm pretty sure National Geographic did a whole thing about uh 50 years since landing on the moon and 
and um, what we're, our future looks like. But I know that they always have small pieces in their um, magazines that talk about where we kind of are in a space sense. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is kind of like, National Geographic does do a good job. And there's also like lots of videos, like it's funny you said Bloomberg, because um, Bloomberg, I actually just watched a video yesterday called Who Wants to Be a Trillionaire? That was about asteroid mining and kind of like our current state in that respect with asteroid mining. And so like a lot of it though is not super, super specific. So like if you want the specifics, there's articles everywhere, but it's not like current news with like current events in that they'll just kind of throw it all out there for you. It's more like, ooh, this is cool, this is happening. And then you kind of have to go dig around for the other stuff, excluding like NASA does a pretty good job too. And like National Geographic does really good. But other than that, it's kind of like, they'll like cool stats, you know, someone will post something or a little story about this new space suit, you know, they just, they developed for Mars, but if you want like the real specifics, you kind of have to dig around a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and you, um, you mentioned the book, um, Packing for Mars, and that is by Mary Roach, if anyone um, wants to read that, um, who's listening. And then also something you said about the asteroid mining, um, we're going to have, the next person we're going to have on our podcast, his name is Brian, um, and he actually commented for one of Cage's papers uh, about how that would affect uh, the market, the U.S. market. Um, so that, that'll that be interesting. Maybe when he's on, we can ask him about that as well, um, because there is a lot of money in that. Um, Cage, tell us a little bit. You wrote a paper on it. So. Yeah, well, if you tell me what it is, I can yeah. tell you like effects that possibly have on the market that we collide yeah. some knowledge. Cool, yeah, for sure. So... The basic gist of asteroid mining is obvious mining asteroids. Asteroids aren't that close to Earth. Like, there's NEAs, which are near-Earth asteroids, which in our sense of relation are not at all that close to Earth. They're very far away. Um, Mining asteroids is not easy. They have gravity that's millions of times weaker than Earth, so they kind of split apart if you touch them the wrong way. Uh, if you're mining them, their orbital trajectory is going to change. So it's like super complicated, but there's there's some super good methods right now um, surrounding asteroid mining. There's one that uses optical mining, which is basically like solar arrays to mine it, um, which would be light, um, which is really cool. And it kind of surrounds the whole asteroid, and that way when it breaks apart, it's not flying into the depths of space or damaging the spacecraft, stuff like that. But the whole idea behind asteroid mining plays like really good with the gateway and getting um, fuel, you know. So the asteroid mining would kind of supply the fuel in a way. And like the gateway project is within the next five years. But the asteroid mining project is kind of a more of a decades thing because it's very expensive and it's not solidified like the gateway. But the gist of it would be to mine these resources and use those resources in space, and um, more specifically water, which come from C-type asteroids, which is carbonaceous asteroids. And so getting that water to use as propellant, because hydrogen and oxygen basically are rocket fuel. And so if you can get these things from space instead of from Earth, now you're avoiding those costs of launching off of Earth and the weight And the actual cost is of like $12,300 per kilogram to get water from Earth to the moon. And they project that it would be like $5,700 per kilogram to get it from an asteroid to the moon. So, you know, like you're already cutting that in half and they only see that number dropping. 
But, like, where it would affect the Earth's economy is when it gets more mainstream and it's not just mining for water and space for rocket fuel. But now it's, okay, it's 2200 and the Earth is almost out of iron and now we ship, you know, $56 billion worth of iron to the Earth. You know, like, how is that going to affect the economy is sort of the idea. So, yeah, I mean, the, right away, when, when there's a sh- shortage, supply, and, like, think about supply and demand. So if there's a shortage in something, like you said, obviously the price will be higher no matter what. But also, like you said, is if it's easier to get that fuel to the other, to space, that space station, um, the economy I mean, you could even have a split economy at this point if we get so many people there, right? So if the fuel, say that would be cheaper, that's because the supply is going up. So um, if there's gold in these, there is, yeah, there there is gold? gold? Absolutely. Yeah. There could be... Yeah, what are the other... There could be any element you have on yeah. Earth um, comes from these meteors. So you have to think of everything that we find in Earth was created by meteors hitting the original planet. Yeah. So all these meteors slammed into Earth and for years and years, millions of years, and then it finally solidified into just Earth. So these meteors are chunks off of other planets or debris from exploding stars that could have multitudes of material on them. I mean, it could go from diamond to gold to iron <coughs> to you could, uh, mine cobalt. It could be anything you could yeah. think of element-wise on the periodic table could come from these meteors so from a fuel sense it's kind of like a little gas station yeah like he was saying like if if you were flying out in space and you could you found and were able to analyze a meteor that had what you could use for fuel you could just kind of like pull up to it mine it really quick and that's your pit stop for a quick fuel and then if you needed supplies you would be able to analyze these meteors depending on how they're like what their temperatures are like how they like move in space and so a bunch of other readings too and you could pull out the material you need which like i said could be any element on the periodic table yeah so if you think so if you think about that that could send an absolute wild effect yeah. so when you think when you when you invest um a lot of people invest a lot in equities and bonds and then they'll put some away in cash and gold and now as cash and gold are safe havens almost so when the equities market goes crazy like it has been with all this like trying to trade stuff um people are going to find a safe haven in gold. And then gold is going to actually decrease because people are going to sell it off and invest in equities again when the China trade deal gets better, which it is now, right? Stocks are going up, markets are hitting record highs, things like that. And now more and more people are going to leave gold. When there's a scare, people are going to go back to gold. But the problem is with that is if you sent a ton of gold to earth, then it does not become an extremely valuable resource. Resource. So, if the su- the supply goes up, the price is going to go. The price of it's going to go down. I can get gold easier now. It's not as much as a safe haven. And then, what are people going to flee to? Yeah. So if I'm if, <clears throat> and I don't know that question. If I if I knew that question, I'd have a billion dollar hedge fund right now. Yeah. I just don't know the answer <laughs> to that question. But I'm saying, um, it's kind of like the question where you ask we ask you about the the dimensions. It's we don't know where it's. If that happens, then that could possibly be really bad in the next recession. What are people going? Because there will be a recession eventually. Um, that's just the way it happens. Every every bull market ends in a bear market. And um, but 
What will people turn to to invest in once they leave these risky assets and they go try to go to a safe asset such as gold or platinum or a different type of commodity and now it's not as valuable because it's not it's it's coming becoming so renewable that it's extremely easy to get yeah well like you said gage that it's a decades kind of thing away um yeah. i think by then our economy is going to be so different as oh, well yeah. it's going to be so different within the next couple decades that predicting it now it, it might do a little bit it might help with conversing about it but it's not going to do i mean it's more of a just a fun topic to dance around than to yeah. actually make its um, own but with the idea of like a huge amount of commodities being like flooding the market do you see like say it is gold and platinum because like gold platinum iron water ice cobalt um like these different silicates like these are the most common things in asteroids meteors whatever and so like if you were to flood it with those specific things that hold value on earth do you see a new thing that's rarer finding value on earth or how do you like how would that you know what i mean with that the value that's like held by the electronic dollar you know it's kind of like held by these physical commodities but like if there's this huge influx in those would that like value kind of transfer to something else or like I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I can't exactly say that, but um, originally, if you asked me that question, when I first started getting really interested in this, electric cars weren't such a huge thing. So I'd probably say oil or gas. But now electric cars are going to be such a big thing. If it's decades away, think about how many more electric cars are already out there. I don't think there's going to be gas cars at some point. So what is that going to do to gas investors? Yeah, that's already happening that way. I was reading an article about um, innovative real estate um, and forward-thinking real estate a couple days ago, and it was an article about how electric good <laughs> guitars, <laughs> electric cars are actually affecting the real estate market now. Yeah, which is really interesting to think about how all these things are interconnected. Tying um, into those gas investors, you have to think. If I'm a gas investor now, and I just inherited a multi-million dollar company, my investment would be going towards companies like SpaceX, mm -hmm. like NASA, and even Boeing, because Boeing does a lot of construction yeah. for these uh, spacecrafts, because as the common market, as in cars, turns towards an electric field, we still don't know how an electric field would work out in space for a spaceship. So my large investment, say, in 30 or 40 years, if there's no more gas cars, might be the ships we launch from Earth or the yeah. ships we launch from the moon because those are going to take so much of the gas and so much of the actual fuel. But then even to that point, you'd have to think if, if by then in 40 or 50 years we've gotten so good at launching from space and we gotten, we've gotten so good at taking the sun's energy and, and making these cars electric with batteries, by then you would think we'd have batteries that are large enough to power up spacecraft or solar panels that can take the star's energies that this, these spacecrafts are flying past and turn it into fuel. Yeah. So you, as a gas or oil tycoon, you'd have to think that my reign of terror ends in the next maybe 100 years. Yeah. yeah. And so my investment has to slowly switch to something else or I have to make as much money now before my market's gone. 
Yeah, I think that I also think that's scary to add on to that point is because like, yeah, sure. If we had if we had a bunch of money to invest in that, that would, that would be amazing. But also, it's um, it's still in that research and development stage, right? So if you're investing into a company that just you're just pumping money into the R and D, and say it doesn't work out, where's your return? Where's your dividends? Where's your right. where's the capital return? What happens to the PE firms that went into it? What happens? Like it's just it could it's such a scary game to play it that way. But yeah, I mean. If you, I mean, if you invest in, if you're an investor in Tesla, I'm sure a lot of your R and D is going to, a lot of your money is going to R and D in in the electronic cars. So I mean, that's Absolutely. it's already turning that way, like you said. But that's just, I'm not going to touch Tesla with a ten foot pole ever. What? Personally, I did a ri- a long time ago, not a long time ago, like last year. But I will not do it right now because it's scary. There's no true competitors. Right. If you find yeah. me a true competitor, then I would. But also, I don't know how to value a company like that because they have no competitors. Yeah. yeah. And as you said, it's still kind of in like that research phase. So like you don't know how this technology is fully going to function in the world. So your investment might start off looking great and might end horribly. Yeah. So... Since, like, it's such a minuscule amount of time we've been messing around with this new technology, is your investment at this moment really worth it? I would have to say no as well. I I feel like I wouldn't touch Tesla at this point either because, like you said, there's no one else who really competes with them on a large scale. And I wouldn't feel comfortable in something that's so fresh and so new. Maybe when there's a little more time, there's a little more technology, that's when you would handle your investment a little differently but i can kind of see the sense where you're coming from yeah yeah Yeah, and i think we've kind of we've come full circle from the questions that we first started um asking about um and that was just like research in general and questioning things and like just being curious about knowledge in general and so as we wrap up this podcast, thank you both for being on it for Absolutely. one. Yeah, thanks for that was, us. I can't wait to go back and yeah. listen to this. <laughs> yeah, and that was really interesting. I, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Um, We'd love to, you guys got to come back on and we just got to, yes. we need to split up time. Maybe we can have like a full hour next time just on the dimensions. Cause I'd yeah. love to dig <laughs> more sure. into that. Just dive into specific topics. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have to have a, this episode actually might be broken up into two because it's a little long for one but we might have to have a part three um but before we wrap up i want to um have a few ending points of the things that we talked about in case people tuned in um halfway through or towards the end um so we've talked about um zach talked about his nasa internship some uh and then cage also talked about just the basis of his learning for this and it's been more just the curiosity base and zach's had a chance to apply some of that curiosity as well at his internships um through payload research and sleep rooms um sometimes that's amazing amazing. um and then also um a couple things that have been said that i just thought were so interesting um and that i want to expand my knowledge more on are like the idea of time flowing differently on certain planets um and how to measure time in general um and then also wormholes and like dark holes and just like going through one like what that would be like it's it's fun to think about um and then also the idea of getting on a rocket to Mars or a planet and whether you would rather be, you know, the third or fourth person or the first person. Um, and then lastly, the idea of gaining energy from stars as you're flying by them as fuel just <laughs> so sounds cool. so cool to me. 
Um, so thank you guys for being on this, and we're going to wrap this up, and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Wild Podcast. Today we on we have on Brian Crawford, who is a good friend of Allie and I. Um, Brian has an awesome story about everything, and he's a super intelligent guy. Also one of the nicest people I ever meet, so... Mm-hmm. So thanks for thanks for coming on, Brian. Did um I'm glad I'm glad to be speaking with you guys and uh, we're gonna have a fun time. So. Yes, sir. Yeah, so if you can start off and just tell tell us about yourself and and uh, your background. Um. So my name is Brian Crawford. I'm from uh, I'm from Uganda in East Africa. I've been in America for seven years and I'm a finance major at Costa Carolina University. And I just wanna I just wanna win. all right so when when you came to america and now that you're at school at coastal with us and you're studying finance and you want to be in on wall street one day um how do you see like your your past being applied to that that future that you see and you're hungry for and like what are your what are your plans for that um, so so growing up in Africa, um, I literally never had anything. I was homeless for 15 years, and one day somebody else, uh, somebody, a missionary, decided to give me another chance in life. And so she adopted me, brought me to America, and I didn't speak any English, so I taught myself English, and from that day on I decided to be the best because it's, um, I feel like I'm the chosen one. I think, <laughs> and me being in America, I feel like I should not waste every second of it. And so after finishing high school, I decided to go to college. And in college, <clears throat> I had a passion for finance, and that passion was brought by my friend who I went to high school together. Uh, he traded stocks, and I was like, this is pretty cool. You make money when you're sleeping. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I, I, I started trading stocks a little bit, and I found my passion for finance. So I came to Costa, decided to pursue finance. Uh, but mainly, I want to do banking, so corporate investment banking. And so that is my passion. That is something I want to do. But also, I want to give back from where I'm from because I know the situation in Africa. So, for example, you have a house where... 15 people stay in a 12 by 12 square feet house, square feet room. And that is the, that's the situation. That's where I'm from. And I know the struggle. I know the situation. And me being in America, that just encourages me to work every minute, every second to become the best, uh, to become the best I can be. And, and on top of that, go back and give back and just help Africa the entire African overall, my country and my family, just uh, mm-hmm. to take them out of the ghetto and just give them a good life. Yeah, I think that I think that's very interesting too. Where it's it's like you you walk around and you hear so many people make excuses. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, you know, it's it's rainy out today. I don't feel good. Oh, I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm, Gosh, I'm busy. This stuff. <laughs> this is hard. And it's like when you get to a point where it's like you said. First of all, you said you were homeless, mm-hmm. and then you didn't speak any English coming here, and you taught yourself English, and now you're part of uh, a great program and going into the one of the most successful careers where it's where it's interesting. Where it's like, what what are your what's your thought when people are people want to take that day off? People want to just 
you know, lay, lay low. Because I know we talk about it all the time where it's, where it's us with finance. We're, we're very hungry. We're on the prowl constantly, and we talk about that. But Absolutely. definitely want to talk about this in the podcast as well. Um, so you have to be hungry. I mean, for finance. So I'm Brian Crawford. Like, <laughs> I go to Costa Carolina University. So in order for me to stand out in an interview with somebody who goes to, say, MIT or Stanford or Yale, I have to do things different. And that takes a lot of work, that takes a lot of emailing, that takes a lot of cold calls. And if somebody gives excuses, so I love when people give excuses, and I, I, just, I just lay low and let somebody talk to me and see how they think. And then when they give excuses, and I don't try to impose my, like who I am or where I'm from or the, uh, the difficulties I've been through. I let them, I try to understand them, but I, like, uh, in the back of my mind, I'm like, dude, you don't even know how hard I had to work just to learn to speak English. Yeah. And you already know that, like, you already know English, like, you have it, you have an advantage over me. So you should use that to, um, to your advantage and just be the best version you can be. So, like, people complain, but they don't understand how much they have. Yeah. That's the thing. So, like, you complain and complain and complain, but at the same time, there are people who have had it. The, um, they have had situations way worse, and I'm and it's not like I and it's not about discrediting people saying, "Oh, I've had it worse," so you don't understand. Of course, I don't understand who you were and where you're from, but complaining does not accomplish anything. You actually have to put in the work, and you have to decide in you. You have to have your own drive like something that drives you to be the best. So for example, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, hey, I'm alive, I'm in America, one of the best countries on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said to myself, Brian, what are you gonna accomplish today? How are you gonna impact other people's life? How are you gonna be the best today? And I make my schedule, this is what I'm gonna do. And just that, just thinking about being in America is called the, uh, the, immigr- the immigrants, uh, the immigrant, um, the American dream. Yeah, the immigrant American dream. So, <laughs> so when I look at it, I'm like, man, I'm so blessed right now. Like, seven years ago, I was on the street, and now I'm in America. I'm going to work every second I get. So, mm-hmm. that's what kind of drives me, just to be the best overall. Yeah, I think that uh, the cool moment that just, that just reminded me of is when we went to when we went to Charlotte, mm-hmm. um, for the hurricane. There was, we woke up that morning and with, without really saying much at all, we, it was great to have um, a friend on the same wavelength where we get up, we went and worked out, and then we studied for about six or seven hours straight and then went out at night and we, we didn't look, and now looking back on that, it's like that was the most packed work day that we could have possibly done when other people were waiting around. So, I, I mean, I witnessed it firsthand where it's, where it's like I'm, I'm thankful to have uh, Ali and Brian, especially where it's, where it's like people that work mm-hmm. to an incredible amount. But we didn't even. It was. I just thought it was funny how we didn't even say anything about it. <laughs> yeah, we didn't notice each other because we woke up in the morning, yeah. and I and I see Sam in the morning like he woke up at eight talking to his phone, talking to his friend, <laughs> and then everybody like I would just come out of my room at like nine, and just sit on the table and just do work until like four o'clock. Like, hey, man, you want to get some food? Yeah, let's go get some food. Work out. Back. 
walk out, then come and walk again. Yeah. And then we go out. Just oh, just yeah. that was, well, I think that's so much of success is the mindset toward it. And life in general is a mindset toward it. Like you can, if you tell yourself it's hard, it's going to be hard. But if you tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to get up and do this work and the reward is going to be so amazing. I mean, the best things in life are hard. Oh, yeah. The Not, best things yeah. in life are difficult. And so if you go into things with, a, you know, situations with a mindset of, God, it's going to be so difficult or this career, I'm never going to amount to that or you're setting yourself up for that because ultimately you decide and what you were talking about with the advantage, it directly relates to opportunity. I mean, some people have, you know, advantages in certain aspects and some people have them in others, but a lot of us have equal opportunity. Um, not all the time, but opportunity in, in little pockets of our lives are the same. Um, and so taking advantage of those opportunities with a successful mindset and that's what you were saying. It's like unstoppable. You know, when when you have those key elements and when you study yourself mm-hmm. and you know yourself and you know what you want. Because as a college student, sometimes that's the hardest thing is figuring out what you actually want. Yeah, that is so key. Um, you have to know who you are first. And I feel like me being, being homeless in Africa and living on the street taught me who I am. Like, it... um. It kind of forces you to know who you are, like at a young age, because I, I went on the street, I was like five, and at the young age, I had to learn how to find food for myself, where to sleep, how to make money, because I thought going on the street and borrowing and asking for people money, like begging for money, that was going to do it, but it didn't do it, so I had to come up with creative ways in order to make money for myself, so I started... Um, I saved up my money and bought a uh, and bought a weighing scale. Like everybody has one in America, so it would not be a great business in America. But I saved up my money, bought myself a weighing scale, and I literally walk around. I walk miles and ask people, "Hey, do you know how much weight do you weigh?" They'll be like, "No, I don't." You're like, "You can step on my weighing scale." and give me at least a half a dollar. You're like, yeah, I'll check it out. So I'll step on it, and I'll make so much money. I made so much money that I was like, you know what, I'm going to take myself to school. So I was living on the street, making money at night, and waking up at 6 and going to school, and nobody knew about it. So I was like the underground boss. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That is hilarious. There's like, so that goes into my next question where it's like, is there, was there one moment where you can think back on where, where you're like, okay, I absolutely refuse to, to live like this or to keep going through the motions. I absolutely refuse to live this moment again. So I'm going to be successful. And this is my mindset from here on out. You mean when I was living on the street? Yeah, was there there was there a certain moment? Was there one moment that you can recall? Man, it's a lot of emotions. Because when you're living on the street, like, you literally, you are by yourself. Like, nobody can take care of you. And as a young kid, um, like, few, so I went on there when I was, like, five, seven. And so I decided I was, because I was living with my aunt. Yeah. And we were living in a small house. And everybody was sleeping on top of each other. And I was like, man, this is not it. I, was, I knew life was better than that. I knew there was something in life that was better. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and start living on the street because I wanted to find something. That's something I knew. The, I knew I was meant for more. Yeah. That's it. I knew I was meant for more. And to think about it, I'm glad I went on the street. 
sounds it sounds messed up, but I'm glad I went on the street because um because if I never ever ever decided my mind to go on the street, like the parents that adopted me, they would never have found me. So that's what that's how I think about it. It's messed up. Um it's not messed exposed. up. It's not messed up. Yeah, I was exposed to a lot of stuff, but yeah. I feel like that was my way. So I believe in God, and I feel like that was, um, cause God always tries to find a way to bring you uh, to places, and sometimes it's gonna be messed up, and sometimes it's gonna look like wow, this is it. Cause like, how can a five year old be living on the street in Africa with no parents, right? And then when you think about it, you're like, dang. He actually had a better plan for me. So I think he had a better plan for me. So everything I've ever went through, everything I've ever been through, I feel like it was his way of shaping me into a person I'm going to be in the future. And that person is the person who is going to be hardworking. It's the person who is not going to accept um, uh, this mediocre. mediocre. And is the person who is going to, or step up to the competition like I love to compete. Yeah. That that's <laughs> definitely. <laughs> that's like my thing. Like nobody knows about it, but I like when people Oh, like, we know about like, it. <laughs> yeah, we know. Like, we know. <laughs> I like when people are like, hey. Now I'm like, okay, let's compete. Right. The best one wins, but it's it's messed up. There's some situations where like living on the street where you'll be forced like um because there's there's drugs, of course there's drugs. There's women on the street, yeah. And sometimes they'll force you to like try to buy them, and in those situations to look up. Like I've never did any drugs on the street, and I've never ever 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 had anything with a prostitute. But then to look back at it, I'm like God was actually protecting me because, uh, like seventy eight percent of people. You know, where I'm from, they have HIV AIDS. And all my friends who ended up um, buying prostitutes, they got HIV AIDS. And when I think about it, I feel like that was God protecting me because when you're on the street and you're struggling, you try to look for different things. You try to look for different things to replace the pain, things to, um, yeah, replace the pain, things to kind of like try to cover up what you're going through, but I feel like I, I've never felt like I needed something uh, something else to replace what I was going through. I always went through the situation, whether that was uh, toughening it out and going and ask for money. I went and asked and sometimes you get slapped and sometimes people will abuse you and sometimes people like pour water on you, like they'll cash you out, be like, hey, but those situations, I feel like they shaped who I am, and I feel like that's. I think that's the that's the reason I love God so much. I feel like He was preparing me to be the person who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Well, I think sometimes, as you were talking about that, something I wrote down was sometimes God's packaging is in our packaging Absolutely. for situations, and Absolutely. sometimes you know we like to think of all the the ribbons and bows and glitter and gold, but I mean, like we said earlier, you, you have to go through some things to get to the other end. And you're there's still another end behind that end. I mean, there's always something. There's always a new wave to figure out and new tr- struggles to figure out. But um, another thing, I guess, kind of to 
to change um, course a little bit, but we talked about choosing a path. Like once you came to America and uh, we've talked about this briefly about when you were in college specifically and choosing a path for your education and how you chose that path and where you found yourself in the career path that you are now and like your internship opportunity for the summer and can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so I was given an opportunity this summer to work for Bank of America and their corporate uh, investment, their corporate, global corporate banking sector. And that is an opportunity I will never, ever, ever in my life thought about because I was like, hey, I'm just a kid from Africa living on the street. But I was given an opportunity. And so when I came to college, I decided to differentiate myself because everybody... I mean, you can have fun in college, but don't just have stupid fun. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid fun is when you have fun and you forget about school because this is, I call school an experiment because everybody's having fun, but at the end of the day, you're going to get out of college and life is going to hit you. And the reason I'm saying that because I have experienced life and, and I know how hard life is if you don't have a plan. So coming to Costo, I made sure that I had a plan in mind, and that plan was um, to find people who can help me. So my thing is, um, I try like whenever I don't have, whenever I need something, I try to ask people for help. Like I'll always, always, always ask. It doesn't matter what. I'll ask you, hey, can I do this? Can you help me here? Can you help me here? And so um, my sophomore year, I decided, uh, decided, of course, to apply for the World Fellows Program, uh, where I met the coolest people, Sam and Ali. <laughs> <laughs> We're not but, the coolest people. I don't know. <laughs> Ali probably is, I mean, you are, are, but I don't yeah, know. My friends in my village are way cooler, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, one day we're... we're no, but... <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. A little soccer brawl. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided to differentiate myself by joining the World Fellows Program and by and that's where I had the opportunity to meet Patrick Dempsey, absolutely brilliant guy. And he gave me the tool to be successful. Great mentor. He's a great guy. He will call you out if you're not doing anything. Yeah, right. we both have experienced <laughs> that one. <laughs> he will call you out. Now he's working for Citibank, sales and trading. But he's a brilliant guy. So those are the people. If you want to be successful, you, uh, if you want to be successful, you have to surround your people, uh, surround, surround yourself with people who help you do that. And those people, they have to be better than you at different levels of staff. So if you're stuck in one place doing the same thing, you're not improving at all, and you need to change your game plan. And I felt like everybody who are freshman year was doing the same thing. Um, going out five days a week. I'm like, eh, I don't want to do that. I want to be the best. So I started studying, studying, keeping my GPA up, which helped me into the World Fellows, um, into the World Fellows interviews because, uh, oh, you got a high GPA. You work hard. It speaks for you. And when I got into the program, I realized um, it's a great program and <laughs> and I met you guys. You guys are great. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of work, but also it's a that just reminded me of a point where it's like where Pat really would call us, and that's the point where it's like 
going into that, going into like when you said life will hit you and then you got to surround yourself with those people. Um, no matter how good friend, good of friends that us three are in all reality, we're, I can't not explain for anybody listening how many times Brian and I have disagreed on current events and market news are completely different outlooks like to the point where it's like we just tell each other to shut up and like it's the complete stuff like that but but that's the type of people that make you better because you have to think about it mm-hmm. you have to view it you have to understand so, uh, you have to push each other with knowledge especially and with that hunger to learn because i mean brian and ali have taught me so much where it's gotten to the point where it's oh man they were they were so right and they had this point for you i gotta go back and i gotta read and I gotta understand. I gotta watch more news. And I gotta look up some explanation. And I gotta find that out. And now we're back to the point where now we're in this position where we pay it forward to the next person. That's something like Pat did it for us. We help each other. And now we help people um, trying to get in. They're just foot in the door where it's like, hey, man, all you gotta do is ask for help. You gotta send cold emails. Yeah. And people are like, cold emails? Yeah. What's cold emails? What's cold phone calls? People wanna help you. You just gotta ask. Yeah. And I think. Some of the hardest part is asking for help, and it could even be that, like, you're not afraid to ask for help, but you might not know how to ask for help. And I think that's one of my mm-hmm. biggest things is that I'm I'm a leader, and I like to do things myself, and I like to work independently. I also love being on a team, but sometimes I don't know when I need help for one. So yeah. it's being able to identify when you need help before it gets too bad, and also what questions to ask because there are stupid questions oh yeah there are stupid questions and i mean i don't i (laughs) there are good questions there are stupid questions no whoever tells you that there's no such thing as stupid questions that's a stupid comment (laughs) (laughs) bad (laughs) yes so we won't give any examples of some stupid questions but you can use your imagination and I think that's something that makes good friendships as well because something that I've experienced in school, growing up in high school, is I never... In middle school, I had a bunch of the, the friends, a bunch of the girlfriends, the guy friends, and it, it kind of wore off in high school because I wasn't the drama. I wasn't into the drama. And when you're not into drama in a small town, there's not there aren't many people to hang out with. And so I turn inward to my studies and reading and, you know, intrinsic goals and my family, and I think those are the kind of things that when you spend time on those things and identify them younger in life, even now, I mean, there's no too late time to start, but identifying those things, it's okay to hibernate for a summer and read the entire time and never go out. It's okay to spend that time on yourself. (laughs) I I know. That's That's what what I I did this summer. It's like, like I literally so this summer I had a, last summer I had an internship with Turner Construction Company and I was working in their finance and accounting department and Pat told me hey if you want to be the best you gotta know everything about the industry and I went out and bought all the CFA books and I was studying about bonds so I was I was interested in bonds and I was studying everything about them and me and Sam will have. <laughs> <laughs> me and Sam will have conversation arguing which is better. Is it commodities or is it bonds? So stuff like that. And I agree with you, Ali. Um, <clears throat> if you want to make yourself better, you have to step back and look at yourself and decide, okay, this is what I want to do. And it's okay to spend your whole summer studying. Yeah. 
because it's gonna pay off. It's like school. You might feel like uh, so you have you have people who are having so much fun, but they are doing things like um things like not talk trash, but like things like uh like communication. And then you have <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's not okay. That's not a good thing. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of, <laughs> out of the line? No, 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 no. It's raw. It's whatever. <laughs> Say whatever you want. <laughs> oh, God. No, no. It's a, it's a great major, but at the same time, you have people who are doing things like accounting, finance, and they spend their whole lives in the books. But at the end, like, it pays different dividends and yeah. depends on what you want. Like, I will not come and force somebody to be like, hey, I want you to be an accountant. That's not your passion. That's fine. Yeah. And... It just depends on what you want and are you willing to put in the work to study and be the best at that. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I think that that's an interesting point where it's like also the, the mindset behind that with everything where it's like I was, I was reading um, a couple different things but uh, and just observing. And I remember shadowing one of my first banks and I noticed that everybody had dual desktops. Mm-hmm. Everybody has double <laughs> desktops and works at – so the absolute first thing I did – was um, my dad actually bought my mom a big TV and she just had this little tiny TV. So as soon as I got home, I was like, okay, if I want to be one of these guys, I have to start acting like them, guys or girls. <laughs> I grabbed the mini TV, I set it up on my desk, I hooked it up to my computer and no. I started working on double desktops just to make myself. Yeah. It's like saying, and I'm sorry I interrupted that no. sentence a little bit, but it's like, for me, with my interest in fashion design, marketing, like being in New York City, it's like dressing for the job that you want, not the job you have. Absolutely. Yeah. You present, how you present yourself and how you treat yourself is the most important part because like you, that's your little boost of confidence. It might sound silly. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, oh, it's ridiculous. that job? No, it, it is job? ridiculous. But ridiculous is good sometimes. No, I agree. I agree. And it's like, I've also read other things where it's like people and and. My dual desktops is not like this, but if you look at someone like Tony Robbins, have you guys t- heard of Tony Robbins? Oh my, yes. Have you heard of Tony oh Robbins? No, I have not had the chance. Oh, uh, we so will, we as, will show you. Everyone, he has a podcast, he has books, he has a video on Netflix, it's about an hour, and it will fire you up for weeks. Yeah, but there was, there was one thing that stuck out to me. Like, he, uh, he, he, was very, he was very poor, and he wanted to convince himself that he was going to be rich. So he withdrew. He only had, I don't know, maybe five, $600 in account. He withdrew three $100 bills, and he put it on the outside of his wallet so that he got so used to seeing those $100 bills because that's what rich people do in his mind, Yeah. That, that they just had the $300 bills, and he put singles in the rest of it. But he would never use those $300 bills. He just thinks that, Rich people carried around, so he started doing it. And now, look at him. Yeah, that's insane. That's it. That's that's insane. That's like, that's a crazy mindset. That's, that's like I commend that. Yeah. That's good. Double desktops. That's my point. Yeah, that's the title of this podcast. <laughs> you get oh, you get used to them. Of course, you're gonna be working with them on Wall Street someday. But you get used to that. They're not fun. No. They're not fun. <laughs> the the newness yeah. wears off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be working with spreadsheets and you're going to have your eyes like popping out. Like I would wake up in the morning every day at six and say, wow, I'm going to go and sit and do the same thing again. <laughs> <laughs> but 
it's um it's hard work and you gotta love it like you can't escape away from it but you have to work hard on something you actually have a passion for because mm-hmm. if you wake up every day because you're gonna wake up every day and you're gonna be like wow am i actually gonna go and do the same thing i did and that uh, and sometimes when you start regretting that that's when you um that's when you start thinking, am I actually making an impact in life? Uh, am I impacting people? And that, that's the question everybody's going to ask themselves. Because I asked my question, and I was an intern for just summer. Like, I was just mm-hmm. interning for the summer. And I was like, am I actually making a difference? Like, mm-hmm. is, this, is, is me going through the spreadsheet and debiting and crediting accounts and just working with the accountants is that what I'm meant to do? And I decided no. So I was like, I like, I'll go into banking then and see how it is because accounting was not for me. So you have to find that. Yeah, that's a great. The 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 passion, like you said, it's. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure if Brian or I had to make a fashion blog, we'd mess it up real good. But then. <laughs> Since Allie's passionate about it, she can... That, that won't be good, so... No, she, since Allie's passionate about it, that comes so natural, you know what I mean? Where it's, like, amazing, where it's, like, where the fashion and the writing, and if you ask me to do that, brutally rip it apart, because I suck at it, but also, it gets to the point where it's, like, Allie, do you want to debit and credit accounts, or do you want to look at the stock market? You know what I mean? So it's all about, it's all about passion. It's all about what, yeah. what, what, you're, what you value in it. It's not really about... I mean, it will pay you those dividends that you're talking about, but sometimes those dividends aren't money to you. Sometimes they're helping people or like, like a teacher. Like a teacher is the most underpaid job mm-hmm. in the face of the world, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of times with, um, and I've, I've had this conversation with my parents a lot about the question of passion. Um, and when I came into college and I said I was going to be an English major, I was an English major, not necessarily to be a teacher, but I mean, that's a wonderful profession as well. But I, it was just foundational for me. Just like if you just get a business degree, it's very foundational, it's yeah. versatile. Um, and so for me, the idea was, I'm gonna go get a degree that I can apply to anything that I am interested in after school. I can always go get my, my master's in business. I can always go further my education but it's something I'm passionate about and I can make money. And I think it's really important not to just say, you know what, I'm passionate about this and sell yourself wholly to that because you have to make money. You have to live. It's expensive to live. So you need to find the happy medium between what can make me happy and make me feel fulfilled, (laughs) but what is also going to pay me and more than just being comfortable. What what am I going to be able to, you know, support my family on and travel on and, invest on and have a second house if I want to you know what can I do to find that formula for my life and I think we all have a formula for our lives I think there's philanthropy and all that I think there should be philanthropy I think there's you know investment I think there's um, you know love there's a family if that's what you choose there's moving around vacationing you know so we all have that and so college is a time to kind of figure that out too because you're exposed to so many different perspectives that you have to decide, okay, what's most important? And you can do that by dividing your life into a pie. You can do that by, 
you know, just thinking through it and journaling, but I think that's a really important part, and I think, Brian, you've expressed that as well, just like that fulfillment, and how do you balance that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also, just for lose that thought, when you said investing, that's that's really important to me, because I, I remember I wrote the um, Combine, remember that, and I, yeah. we should do, we'll do a podcast on that one day, but it's, it's an acronym, and one, one of it stands for I, I, and the Combine stands for invest, but when I, when I talk about invest, when I wrote that, I didn't mean about invest money. I didn't mean about invest in stock and in cash and in capital and do that. I meant invest in yourself. Because when you wake up, Brian, the stuff that you talked about growing up homeless or when the stuff that Allie talked about where she just reads constantly and writes and eventually gets better and then goes into fashion. Or I uh, personally, like, I, I had a lot of trouble with reading growing up. I struggled with it to a, a huge point. And, um, and I eventually got better. But when I'm talking about invest, I mean that you invest in yourself every single second. I mean invest in yourself. Because when you wake up at those mornings, and when we started with working with Pat, you wake up in the morning and you go, okay, I'm ready. I'm hungry. I'm going to do this. And it's 6 a.m. and you do it. And then the second day comes along and you're a little bit more tired and you go, okay, let's do it again. And then the next week comes around. And then you go, wow, this is getting pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And then the third week comes around and all of a sudden you go, man, I hate this. <laughs> I hate this moment right here. But I think when you invest in yourself, mm-hmm. you remember your original vest- investment. You remember the, your present value of your investment. Yes. And you remember, okay, this is why I started. So when that third week comes around, you go, wow, this sucks. Mm-hmm. And you, you go through that next grueling reading. You go through that next horrible word problem mm-hmm. and that next terrible workout. And this goes with anything. This goes with like losing weight. This goes with learning more. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, you remember that present value. You remember your present value of okay, I used to make money by having people weigh themselves on the street. Mm-hmm. And so reading is going to be a little bit damn easier than that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's really, really good. That's a great point. Um, you have the, that touches on motivation. Like, what motivates you? Like, and you cannot base your motivation on people. Like, you cannot let people motivate you because you are going to be laid down so much, so much because... People are good, but people are reliable. And you have to have an intrinsic motivation. And that motivation, it, it, it has to be something that does not change. And every time you wake up, you're like, wow, I'm ready. Wow, I'm ready. So, like, my motivation is, um, like, every time I look at my sister in Africa, I'm like, wow, her is some motivation. I'm going to go be the best and do the best. Uh, you have to have multiple motivations, but you have to have that one thing that motivates you so much. And that can be your family. Uh, that can be your work, but your work can get boring and you might, want, you might want to change. But you have to find something that motivates you every day because, as you say, it's going to get harder and harder waking up, harder. <laughs> and then you have to dig in and be like, why am I doing this? Is this what I want to do? And by doing that, you'll find your motivation. But if you don't have your motivation, you will, not, you will never go anywhere. Yeah. Ever. And I think building off of that, y'all both talked about this, but how it gets harder the more you do something sometimes. And 
it takes three months to make a habit of something. And I think a lot of times we sell ourselves short by quitting before we even hit the one mark, the one month mark. Um, and so that was something I wanted to add on. And also to build off of the idea of motivation. Motivation is, there is an expiration date on motivation, in my opinion. And so I think a lot of times motivation's great for sometimes, but also you have to, you have to turn inward, like you said, intrinsically, and find the grit, find the drive, and fr- find like that one thing, because the motivation will wear out. The inspiration might wear out in moments, um, but to know what triggers that motivation and inspiration is really great. Um, whether it's a dream board which we made um, this school year, whether it's you know a color that you love that you just paint all over your walls. I mean. We all have weird traits. We all have weird things that trigger us. But knowing what triggers us is all comes down to, like, knowing ourselves better as well. Um, but, yeah, do you have anything else to add to that? Well, what's, what, do you, what do you guys use as motivation? I'll touch on what I, I, I yeah. use and then we'll go back. I actually I write a note. Yeah. And I write a note and I put it on my wall. And, I like, it's like it's almost my why. But these whys aren't, like, super cute, Mm -hmm. fancy, like, you're going to do great, sweetie. You know? (laughs) It's not that. It's it's literally, it's that. It's, um, like I said, you struggled with reading. Mm -hmm. You were told that you won't do something. Mm -hmm. So this is why you will do it. And obviously your family and... Your friends add to that, but those are the those are my that's my thing. I put it on I put it on my wall. Sometimes I put it in my bathroom. Um, sometimes I put it on my door, and it's, it's the first thing that you look at. Sometimes I mean, sometimes it would be my phone background. It just it switches. But if you see that and you go, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. It's time to fight, and that's what's it. So I don't know. That's mine, and then Brian. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so my motivation, um. Me just thinking about where I'm from and where I've been through, and that just triggers me. Like that's my trigger, and if uh, if uh, if everything is not going okay, like that is something I have to dig deep and be like, Brian, this is you. This is where you're from, and right now you're in America. Make the best of it. Like mm-hmm. just make the best of it. Like that's my motivation. Has there ever been something that you were like stressed out about here and and then you stopped yourself and you just laughed at yourself and go, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? Like you've been through so much more. Is there- yeah, it's, um, so, I mean, it was high school. Everybody wants to be flashy. Like everybody want to have the best outfit. And so it was this pair of shoes, like everybody was buying and I was stressed out. I kept asking my parents, um, hey, can I get this pair of shoes? They're like, no, Brian, you can't. Like, can I get good grades to get the good pair of shoes? I'm like, no, Brian, you can't. I was like, but why? All my friends have it. My, fr- my parents were like, Brian, think. Would a kid, why, how, how would a kid living on the street, if he saw you wearing that pair of shoes, how would they feel? I was like, wow. That just, that just hit back. I was like, yeah, this is, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but how would you feel? How would you feel about that pair of shoes? Like, this is the thing, Sam. Like, when I go to Africa, like, I cannot, even if I'm wearing good shoes, sometimes I feel guilty because you can see kids walking around with no clothes, kids walking around with their clothes ripped, walking around with no shoes. Like, if, when I'm in, when I'm in Africa and, go, and I go back to my village, 
I cannot wear flashy stuff. Like, I can't, I mean, it's not flashy, it's basic needs, but they don't have those basic needs. So, like, I cannot have a watch that costs, like, $100. Like, I feel so stupid doing that. It's not... It's just, it's just like a guilty trip, like, Brian, you're actually doing that, and there's somebody um, next door starving. So that's my mentality. Yeah. yeah. How about you for that motivation, Ellie? Um, I think the core thing would just be my family, and I'm an oldest sister, and so I take that responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and I always have, um, because I'm the example, and I've seen, you know, my brothers react to what I do, good and bad, and so... I take on that role as well as being a daughter. Um, and I think that's like the, the core level. And then obviously um, just my religion, you know, like spiritually, you know, doing things that are morally and ethically correct with what I believe. Um, but on a, like on a smaller level, just to kind of give some ideas about how you can motivate yourself like in the morning or like throughout the day. Some of the things I do, I journal all the time. I filled countless journals um throughout high school and college just with thoughts and words and things that i don't want to gossip about but i need to get out um and it's good because no one sees it and i get it out and i never have to hear about it again um also i text the people i love because it reminds me what matters even if i can't think of it off the top of my head i send thank you notes because it is so important to be grateful and it instantly humbles me when i write a thank you note to somebody um i read something new i read a innovation and um i talked about this on the last podcast actually a little bit about um self-driving cars and i don't know you know space and something that's totally out of my comfort zone and that humbles me as well and also motivates me at the same time and then i like me some coffee too that that really helps to kickstart everything if i need like a little motivator in the morning so those are some things yeah and to touch on the point when when brian said also and then you said about being that example, um, you, for me, my belief is I'm going to treat the janitor mm-hmm. with the same respect as I'm going to That's teach so the president of the co- with the company, yeah. and um, you know, and it's because you've you've had these jobs. Like I've my my uh, my first job was working at a restaurant, but also outside. There's there was points outside where I was. Um, for some extra money, I would change light bulbs or pick up cigarettes that people would throw on the ground and mm-hmm. and uh, just see how people react. And then I didn't often didn't get tipped well. So always tip people well and help people out, yeah. but always treat people like Brian said, where it's like, how would they feel? But um, even if you wanted to buy yourself those things at some point, because, you, you know, you do deserve it. Because you, you work hard. Yeah, and you want it. It's It boils down to, are you inspiring others are you treating the kid on the street the same as the ba- the ceo that you will be working for at bank of america with the same respect yeah. so That's good advice, and you do advice. that sam i mean i can um I, I guess it was like two or three weeks into the semester when we were eating at the cafeteria with cage and you you knew all the janitors by name and i was like that is so cool i don't remember her name now but you were calling them by name and like speaking with them about their day. And that's so important because it's so easy to overlook that sometimes. And to, to be aware of that is like, that's gold. Like that's gold. Well, also, yeah. Think about it. We wear, so for us, we wear a suit and tie. Yeah. We wear, and you don't wear a tie, but you wear a suit every single day. 
You know what I mean? So a lot of time is we're, we're part of this great program. Mm-hmm. But if we did not have that time where we went, we spoke to the janitor, or we spoke to our teacher, or we spoke to our school president with the exact same respect, what does that say about your character? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Brian. But um, Yeah, um, you're supposed to treat people, I mean, the way they want to be treated and not the way you want to treat them. And I respect that. And it doesn't matter because, like, just reaching out to people and just letting them know they're important, that means so much. And so something I've been doing is I'm a, I just reach out to people like having my contact message and just give them a call, be like, hey, how you doing? Like people I went to high school with, like, hey, how you doing? And Ali, you taught me that. Because uh, you're really, really sweet because you send us, uh, you send out messages like, hey, just checking on us. And that is something small, but it means so much to somebody. So for example, I called my grandma last time on her birthday. She was so happy. And then she said, <laughs> the next morning she ended up sending me a mail and he had like $50 gift card for um for Olive Garden. She was like, you're so sweet calling me on my birthday. <laughs> and I don't usually do that. Like I'm guilty. I usually text and people don't like texting. Like, are you willing to pick up the phone and call people and let them know that that mm-hmm. they are important? Yeah. Because yeah. that's key. That's key right there. So pick up the phone, call somebody. It doesn't matter if they pick up, keep the, keep calling them. Be like, hey, I just wanted to check in and I just wanted to say um, this is what's going on in my life. And I just wanted to say that um, you're really, really important in my life. Things like that mean so much to people. Yeah. Don't text. No. <laughs> or if you text, you can send a, a quick message or a quick uh-huh. email or something like that. Like, Just don't let it substitute only. Yeah, don't let it substitute yeah. only. To, calling is important. It's like the, the richest form of communication. You know, or, oh, you can send a mail by texting. And it depends on what age, like... If we, if we live together on campus, <laughs> I don't expect you to send me a mail. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, hey, man, we got yeah. class next Still week. <laughs> go out and put it in your own mailbox <laughs> for them to get. But yeah, he's uh, just teaching. And, yeah. that's, and that's, that's, what, that's, that's what life is about. It's about yeah. impacting people. It's about stepping out of your comfort zone. And it's about picking up the phone and calling somebody and asking them, um, how their day is going, and how you can help improve their life. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah. think that is a fantastic ending to our podcast. Thank you, Brian, for Absolutely. being on. We've been wanting to get you on for a while. Um, you got to come back next yeah. week even. Yes. We'll talk even more. We got to get Brian on when we talk about uh, the space stuff. Yes. You should have seen me sitting here. And they're talking about <laughs> space and NASA and dimensions. I could what not. You know about space. I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> I was losing my mind. I had no idea what they were talking about, and I was like, "You're." I was, hey, we gotta get. We gotta. Next time we have them on, you gotta come on as well. Yeah, exactly. Come and check it out. It's, that, is it like outlandish, like stuff we don't? Oh, minute? you're gonna listen to it. It goes out today. Yeah, it comes out today. Well, gonna, you don't know the people who are watching this is, or listening to this is already out. So make sure if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It it'll have two parts to it. So oh well. Yeah, it's that long. This one probably will too. Yeah, this one's long too. Yeah, 
Um, so we should end it because our uh, microphone's going to turn off on us, and I think we have class. <laughs> but um, yes, thank you everyone who has listened again, um, and we will see you next week. Perfect. Thank you. Absolutely.